0: Hi, I'm Ollie. And I'm Kendall. And this is The Group Project.
1: Thank you for joining us for Episode 5 of The Group Project. Today we're going to be talking with Vanessa Ball, who you can find more information about at The Outdoor Family Project. The URL is outdoorfamilyproject.com. And uh, we look forward to talking to her. Before we do, I want to let you guys know that we have a survey up on our website, which is onechange.com. You can find it at one-change.com. We also have it in the show notes that you can check out, too. We're doing a survey to collect some information about people's experience with climate change and their attitudes about affecting climate change. So we would really appreciate it if you could stop by and fill out the survey. Thank you so much.
0: Recently, our family was out at Cannon Beach. We were walking along the sand to Haystack Rock. We were out there about a year before, and there had been some folks out on the beach with a set of telescopes so you could look at the birds on Haystack Rock. There were tables set up with specimens from the tide pools, as well as a handful of volunteers that were willing to share their passion and knowledge with those open to receiving it. Reading the information the volunteers had out, listening to them talk and looking through the telescopes and at the specimens changed the way I saw Haystack Rock. This information illuminated Haystack Rock as the home of so much life. The organization also emphasized heeding the plentiful signs telling visitors to tread lightly and keep their distance. Typically, we go to the beach at odd hours, which means it's less busy. But when we went a few weeks ago, it happened to be midday on a sunny Saturday, and it was highly populated. The tide pools and even the lower parts of Haystack Rock were covered with people. Owners were letting dogs rummage in the tide pools, people were climbing, and while I understood that everyone there was enjoying a nice day out exploring and adventuring, what I saw was so much life being damaged. I was torn about whether to say something or not. I think there is a place for us to talk to our fellow humans when we see harm being caused. There have been times in my life when someone I don't know has, from a thoughtful and caring place, educated me on how to behave respectfully in nature. And I have been grateful to them for being willing to talk to me. So I chose that day on the beach to try to do the same. I think education is so important. I think it's incredibly valuable for those that have knowledge and an understanding to share it with others so that we can all increasingly engage with the world we share with respect and care. The coast is not something I know much about, but a few weeks ago I came across some articles written by Vanessa on coastal conservation. We reached out to her and asked if she'd come chat with us a little bit.
1: Thanks for joining us, Vanessa.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: And so, Vanessa, can we start by you telling us a little bit about how you got involved with environmental protection?
2: Sure. Um, my path is a little bit unusual in that I didn't come to it directly from college. It was something that um, happened gradually. Um, I did have a natural resource management degree um, from Washington State University in 2003, but with the start of the Iraq War at that time, um, there just wasn't a lot of work in the environmental field available, and I wasn't ready to go back to grad school. Um, So I joined the Marine Corps, which was a wild crazy decision and I'm still not quite sure why I did that but um, I became an Arabic linguist and deployed to Iraq in 2007. Um, Unfortunately my experiences on deployment were rather challenging and so when I came back I had some struggles reintegrating. After I left the military um, I became a stay-at-home parent and I had two small children Unfortunately, my spouse became abusive and the kids and I left. And one of the things that I really found solace in and gained a great deal of therapy from was time spent outdoors. I hiked, I kayaked, I backpacked, I went mountain biking, you name it. Anything I could do to be out in nature, that was my therapy. And it really helped me find myself again after Um, the challenges of going to war, and then also coming home to an abusive spouse. Um, And I'd always been a writer, and so I started doing all of these trips with my kids, and I thought, well, I should write this down. My family wants to hear it. They want to know what we're up to. They want to hear updates on the kids. And so I started initially just writing trip reports for myself as a blog, um, talking about where we'd been, what it was like to, to... try and do a bike camping trip with two
1: kids (laughs) as
2: a solo parent. Um, Ridiculous is what it is. (laughs) 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 It really is. You go through a lot of grapes (laughs) and a lot of of candy bribes. (laughs) 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 Um, And so a friend of mine had been reading all of my writing and said, you should apply for this fellowship. This is a great fit for you. And it was a fellowship through an organization called The Mission Continues, which is a nonprofit that works to support veterans that have served in Iraq and Afghanistan and have left the military and are looking for new ways to serve in their community. Um, Part of uh, a lot of the drive for people to join the military is they want to serve. They want to do something um, that has a greater good than themselves. And so after leaving the service, you kind of feel empty, like, what should I be doing? I should be doing something more. And that's where Mission Continues aims to step in. And so they pair veterans with fellowships at nonprofits across the country, and the veteran can pick which nonprofit they want to work with. So you can really work in any topic. Um, there's The friends that I met through this program were doing um, things like nursing, in low income communities, watershed restoration planting programs, organic gardening co ops in the inner city, um, homelessness eradication programs, a wide widespread of places where vets can go and, and help in their community. And I chose one at outdoorproject.org, which is their nonprofit, um, to work in right and research conservation issues. And I really did had zero expectation of being accepted. Um, My self-confidence was pretty low, and I wasn't sure that I had um, something real to say. So when I got accepted, and After Projects was thrilled to have me, and they gushed about it, and it ended up being a great partnership. Um, I got to learn web content and how to promote that. I learned um, how to work with an editor, new skills that I'd never had before, and I really found my voice. And the whole point of the fellowship was that I wrote about conservation issues specifically on the Oregon coast in Oregon State. Uh, there were times when I got to write a little bit outside of that, on the Colorado River and places like that. But for the most part, it was Pacific Northwest focused. And after my fellowship end, out ended, Outdoor Project was pleased enough to, with my writing and my work to ask me to continue to stay on. And I've been writing for them ever since, and it's been just an absolutely magical fit, and I couldn't be happier.
1: (laughs) That's awesome.
0: That is such um, an interesting story. I love getting to talk to people and hear the different paths um, that people take. And, you know, we never know. Like, there are times, like, where we talk with people or even just thinking out back in our own life where... We look back and we could never have imagined, you know, like um, where we yes. end up, you know, and just like all the places that things that have happened along the way. And the organization, the mission continues, sounds so interesting. Um, do you keep in touch with that that organization anymore I or do, the people that you've met there?
2: I do. I stay connected with um, some of the staff that, that work there. So once you've been a fellow with them, they like to maintain contact as they get new fellows. Um, New people who have similar interests, they like to make those connections between veterans. So I've had opportunities to talk to other veterans that have found writing fellowships and to be able to talk about my experience, what's worked well for me.
1: And is um, is there a time frame on that fellowship? Is it like a six-month or a year fellowship?
2: It's a six-month fellowship, and the advantage of it is that it is paid. Um, It can be very hard to entice someone to take on significant volunteer time when they're losing, uh, there's not a financial incentive. So this is one way for vets to gain uh, hands-on experience working at a nonprofit, and there, there have been a lot of instances where veterans stay on at that nonprofit and work themselves into a paid position with that organization um, just as a result of their good work.
1: You also write for the Outdoor Family Project, which is um, more about your experiences, is that right, and your family and those type of adventures?
2: Outdoor Family Project is my personal project. It's where I talk about um, travel and exploration in nature with my kids. And I try and make it very personal and relatable. Uh, I talk about the successes, the things that go well, and the things that are just abysmal failures. Um, (laughs) And one of the things that is important to me on that website is that I talk about the challenges of taking kids out, particularly my son, because he is on the autism spectrum. And I want other families with kids that have autism to really take courage and see the benefits of nature time um, for their kids.
0: What are some of the benefits that, that you've found for your family?
2: Oh, gosh, we talk a lot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh,
2: we, <laughs> there's a lot of talking that goes on in this household. Um, as a result, we're constantly finding connections um, based on our experiences outdoors. So when we go um, to a new park or a new hike, there's a lot of remembering back to other trails. For my son in particular, he calms dramatically. It's just a really noticeable difference in his outdoor self versus his indoor self. His physical being is just a calmer, more focused child, and that's pretty incredible for us. It makes the whole day calmer after some time spent outdoors.
0: I think that that's something that a lot of people can relate to, um, Mm -hmm. just in general, that nature does that for us. Um, the, so one of the things that I really appreciate about your writing is um, how educational and thoughtful it is. I was wondering if you would mind sharing um, or telling us about some of the conservation issues that you were writing about or maybe still are writing about mm-hmm. at the Outdoor Project. Um, and I was wondering yeah. if, um, if you had a place in particular to start, that would be fine. But I was also one of the th- ones that stuck out to me was, you're writing about the snowy plover if you wanted to start there or if you wanted if you had somewhere else in mind that would be fine too
2: no snowy plover is great um, snowy plover is a really interesting bird and it's one that has a lot of challenges for protection especially on the Oregon coast um, with with the popularity of the Oregon coast um, nesting time for the plover is in the summer months and that can be extremely challenging to properly educate visitors to those beaches Um, summer months are the most crowded but that's also the most delicate and and dangerous time for these birds and they're already an endangered species well there can be beach closures not everybody follows that unfortunately or people don't always understand that they can't bring animals their dogs um, to these places and and that can be a real challenge
1: so so in these in these situations how can we as the public engage with you know like the Oregon coast which is public land the people obviously we want to we want to protect that and we want that to be there for our kids and you know so on but how do we go about engaging with the land and engaging with nature in a way that is sensitive to these birds or just basically i guess any of these sensitive animals or habitats that, you know, that we don't necessarily know about or something like that? Like how do we engage with that in a way that is sensitive and respectful?
2: That's a good question. Um, I think the first step is to have a curiosity about the places that you're going to visit, that you're taking in these spectacular views understanding where you're going, and there's great resources online for that with the Forest Service and the Oregon Coast Visitors Association um, and Oregon State Parks, for one. They really want to educate people, and they put up quite a lot on their websites, and that that is where I really encourage people to go first. If you're, rather than just Google Maps or um, a website that's talking about a trail or a hike, go to the actual organization that is working to protect those areas. Um, It's as simple as a Google search. It doesn't take very long, but it really gives you a lot of information about um, things to do and what not to do, especially in these more delicate habitats. And then also, if you're able or willing, pick up a field guide. um, Stop at your local forest service office on your way out to the coast, that sort of thing, uh, so that you know what you're looking at when you get there.
0: That's really helpful. That's a really different way of engaging or planning a trip than, um, than I think most people do it, including us. Like I would not have thought, like in some ways that would have been an afterthought, like, oh, that place was cool. Like, let's go learn more about it versus mm-hmm. um, educating. I mean, and it makes sense the way you're saying it. Like in some ways it's like, oh, of course, like why don't I do it <laughs> that way or why like that? that that seems, you know, if you're going into a new place to or even one maybe that's familiar but you haven't done this for um, to educate ourselves about the place that we're visiting and to have we kind of treat everywhere like it's home I think in some ways just mentally mm-hmm. even that itself is just a really respectful way of even just mentally acknowledging that it's not your home you know that you're visiting another place um so that's that's i guess really great advice or feedback i hadn't heard of people doing that before
2: the way i one way of looking at it that might make it a little bit more relatable is i tend to view all of our road trips and our travel how i would if i was planning to go to another country if i'm going someplace Foreign. I want to understand the customs. I want to understand the language and the food and all the best places to see. And so for me, and that's partly just my personality. I I like to ask questions. Um, But I think it's also applicable at the local level. Um, You can really learn more about your local community and those local beaches uh, by reaching out to these organizations like the Forest Service, these agencies. And once you have the allows you to make connections in new ways that you wouldn't necessarily. Um, so when you're looking at snowy plover habitat and then you learn about the dunes that are there and then you learn about oh the grass, the dune grass that grows there and how it's not necessarily a good thing, but it helps and you start to make connections.
0: That is, I love that. <laughs> because that really is a, a new way of thinking about it just for me and for our family and we're curious people. And so, you know, it's like,
1: yeah. And like, I think it's interesting too, cause w- you know, we spend, especially in the summer months, like every weekend we're outdoors doing something. And so um, <laughs> that change I think will be, you know, really helpful and interesting for us to uh, find some new new paths and new ways to engage in a more integrated way, uh, and less, um, I don't know, tr- consuming the nature. I mean, I think we hopefully tried to not do that as much, but I think that this way is even more, um, integrated, you know, doing, doing some more research and legwork and that kind of stuff. So that's a really, that's cool.
0: And I like the way that you, yeah, (laughs) I like the way you compared it to like visiting um, another country. Like it's learning how to, to behave, you know, in a way that, that is, um, allows you, I think you use this word even integrate with the culture, like to not, um, like to not be culturally offensive (laughs) when you're just from a lack of knowledge, not because you're, you know, trying to be rude or something, but just, um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, thank you for that.
2: Yeah, I I always like to think that I don't think people go out intentionally saying, oh, I'm going to destroy habitat today. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think anybody does that. (laughs) I would hope they wouldn't at least. And I think if we just give people the tools to make their visit safe for the animals and the plants that are out there, that's something they can really feel positive about. And then, you know, they'll tell their friends, hopefully, and their friends follow suit.
0: Are there some like standard practices that you have, so you you approach it this way, and you do research ahead of time to get the particulars of a certain place? Are there um, are there some more standard ways of, um, or just practices that you take with you to wherever you go that are more foundational?
2: Um, yes, there are. Um, I think most people who spend time in the outdoors have heard of leave no trace principles. And that is something that we're very passionate about and feel strongly about. It's ways of engaging in the environment that protects the environment in a sustainable way, even even though we're going out into it. And principles like where to camp so that you're not destroying um, fragile grassland or soil, disposing of waste properly, leaving what you find so that you aren't removing things that other people would want to see and want to enjoy for their beauty where they are, um, things like that.
0: And then you and I were talking a little bit earlier about um, the campaign that you have going um, about hikers for an eighth Leave No Trace. Would you like to share a little bit about that?
2: Sure. Um, So there's been growing talk over the last two years, I would say, about the impact of social media on our wild places, um, with the ability for a single photo to go viral and hit millions of people at a single post, um, we're seeing more traffic in national parks and state parks and wilderness areas, and that's a great thing. That's a really that's a positive. The more people in nature, I, I fully support that. However, a lot of these places are just not designed to handle massive crowds, lots of feet on the ground. Um, and it comes down to people not knowing things like don't step off the trail. You shouldn't walk out into an alpine meadow.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, they seem intuitive, but not everybody who goes to these places knows that. And so one of the things that um, Mark Weatherington and I, the co-founder for Hikers of an 8th L&T, really want to promote is encouraging people to think before they post. I'm not saying that you can't post. You absolutely should, and you want to share those beautiful pictures. But to stop and consider um, what it is you're sharing. Maybe refraining from giving exact um, location data. Does every post need to be geotagged? Um, what's the aim of your post? Are you you know, modeling good leave-no-trace behavior in your pictures? Um, because sometimes we see these beautiful images of a tent perched on a, in a meadow or right on the edge of a cliff or right along the side of a stream. Does that follow leave no trace principle? Not not always, and that's something we need to consider and model appropriately in our social media posts.
0: That's something that last point that you made is something I've actually been hearing a little bit about recently as well, that some of those photos in those more wild places that they set an example people are trying to recreate what they saw because it looked fun or enjoyable and so they mimic those behaviors and so I think that that last part is also just like is a really important one that's a way of teaching as well if you have and to make sure that we're teaching the correct behavior out there and spreading more knowledge instead of more misinformation
2: I really do think it comes down to modeling. Um, I would love to see more posts of picking up trash when you're out on your hikes. Um, I think there was a viral video here recently of, in Sweden, of people picking up plastic on their runs and having, running with little bags of plastic trash that they've picked up on their runs. I love seeing things like that because it's something that's really accessible to the individual. Um, You can do, anybody can pick up litter. Anybody can. It doesn't. You don't even need a trash plastic bag half the time, um, and those are saying simple actions. So if we started seeing more of that in social media, um, I would hope. I would like to believe that that might lead other, encourage that behavior on a bigger scale. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, well, I think it, it it can only help, right? Like like Molly and and you both were saying, like this is some people's like Instagram or Facebook or whatever is or Twitter is some people's only exposure to nature. And and so, if we show them, if we show people what uh, nature can be and how to experience nature in a positive and um, sustainable way, then that's all they'll learn. And so when they go out into nature, that's that's how they will behave and and how will they how they will interact with nature. And so, I think that that can definitely be a a strong influencer on folks' behavior.
0: Yeah. And I think that there's another thing, um, too, that I've been thinking about is, like, people getting more comfortable with talking to each other. One example that we have is just the, I mean, you're, you may have still been living in Portland at the time or near Portland at the time uh, when the fires in the gorge happened. Yeah. 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 And just how. From the my reading about it, that there were a lot of people who saw it, but my understanding was that there was maybe only one person that spoke up about it. And I just think that if more people, if they had gotten that feedback even from more people and that that was a more, and we can learn to do it, I think, in ways that help it to be received better, that we can help guide each other. Because I think something you've mentioned a couple of times and that I agree with is I don't think that... I think a lot of times people are just thinking about having fun, you know, they're, they're not, then that's what their kind of focus is on and they're not necessarily thinking of really what the consequences will be or have, you know, especially if they're younger, like have enough, um, understanding like that stuff can really happen, you know, (laughs) like that a fire can really happen from doing fireworks there and that we can, that can actually be a point of connecting with another person. I mean, I've, had that experience where I have been out in nature and I it was I think if I remember correctly that we were it was like my first um, backpacking trip and I didn't know like some of the different etiquette for being out in backcountry and some people that were passing through talked to me and they just like were friendly sharing information like hey like these are some of the different things that you should be doing just to be one, staying safe out here, keeping other people safe, and just kind of acting appropriately kind of out in, in these spaces. I just think that there's a really important role and something that I, I think has diminished and we don't really know how to do all that well is just talking to each other and um, helping each other out by sharing that information.
1: Yeah. Like just being a part of the community and and coming together and and working together on this. I mean, yeah. So we can all enjoy and uh, help each other out because like you say, Vanessa, like nobody's out there trying to to destroy things. And uh, and so if if we see something that is doing damage, we can just kind of say, hey, stop doing that. (laughs) That is actually causing damage or whatever.
2: So I may gripe about social media's impact a fair amount, but I do think there's a lot of positives that can come from it. Um, I I don't know about you guys, but I participate in a fair number of online groups um, that are hiking related or outdoor related or no sports related. And the communities that develop in those groups can be a real force for positive action. And I've seen Um, a lot of opportunity for instruction there and education um, in a way that reaches the number of people that you might not otherwise. And so I don't want to come across as a total negative Nancy against social media, (laughs) I'm not, but I do think that there's a lot of good too. And I think it's about finding ways to speak out and make our voices heard and reaching out to more people and not being afraid to make a comment or, have an opinion. I think that in a constructive way, boom, that's a real positive.
0: Yeah. I, you definitely did not come across as a negative Nancy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: my phrase I use with my, it, <laughs> I, like I can't
0: that. help it. <laughs> that, um, I, I know I, I thought it was funny cause I say negative
1: Nellie. So <laughs> we had our different names. <laughs>
0: We're negative Nellies over here. Sometimes we try not to be, but <laughs> Would do you mind sharing some of the different um, social media groups that that you were thinking about when you mentioned that, the ones that you feel like are...
2: Sure. Um, one of the most, I would say, surprising for me, because I've, I come from um, being the only girl in the neighborhood, joining the Marine Corps in a male-dominated field. Um, I've, I really haven't had a lot of female community um, in my life, but one of the best groups that I've encountered and I get the most um, satisfaction participating in is a group called Pacific Northwest Outdoor Women. And it's a group that's, oh gosh, thousands of women in it across the Pacific Northwest. And it is a group that talks snow sports, hiking, climbing, mountaineering, mountain biking. If it has to do with the outdoors, we cover it. (laughs) And there's been a real push in the last year to find a way to mark yourself as a Pacific Northwest outdoor woman. So we have a purple um, firefly, dragonfly, excuse me, that you can nag on your pack. And if you pass a woman on the trail and you see one, you know, you're like, oh, <laughs> you're one of us. Cool. Yeah. And it's the way to... <laughs> <laughs> and so that group's been really positive and there's so much The emphasis in that group is education because the skill levels run from... Somebody who's never put on a pair of hiking boots before and wants to try their first hike, to people who are climbing Everest, they're climbing Rainier, they're training, they've got these big epic trips in their minds, but the support is there, and that's really neat to see. It's it's a really non-judgmental space, and and I appreciate that.
0: Mm, and okay. then
2: from a um...
0: oh, I was just gonna say that's wonderful and much needed, I think, and just. Um... The female community, in particular, I think all communities, like male communities, do need that. But um, yeah, to have a place to be physical as a woman is and supported, and yeah. But keep going. I
2: oh no, it's no problem. Um, the other group that is um, mixed gender is the Washington Hikers and Climbers group, um, and then also the Mountaineers. Um, both of those groups work really hard to educate and that's Washington hikers and climbers can be a little rough around the edges at times but overall the general gist is we want to help more people get outdoors um, safely and with a real positive experience.
0: Well thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. We have something you're going to get to be the first person to do this for us so I hope you're you're okay with it. But um, we have a question we want to start asking people that we chat with, and um, it'll be the question that we, we close with. What is one thing you would like to ask of your fellow human beings?
2: How can we find ways to, um, find, to create community? How can we create community when we are feeling so divided in our current political climate? What are, what's one small way that we could reach out to someone we disagree with? and I guess that's not a that's a question isn't it that's not an answer <laughs> it can be, there's yeah. no
0: right or wrong there's anything you want <laughs> uh, uh, uh,
2: that's the downfall I way like, too many questions no no such
1: thing <laughs> that's a feature
0: yeah
2: <laughs> that's a feature yeah
1: <laughs> all right Vanessa well thank you so much for joining us
2: Thank you. it, It was really kind of you to reach out.